0: Data, artificial intelligence, the metaverse, crypto and Web3, and quantum computing are just a few of the technology innovations that are changing the way we live, work, and experience the universe. I am your host, Ganesh Padmanabhan, and this is Stories in AI, a podcast where we explore the various facets of technologies like AI, its impact on individuals, organizations, and the society. You will hear from a variety of experts and practitioners, their personal stories, their best practices, and advice to put technology to work. I hope you enjoy this engaging conversations. Hi, in today's podcast, you will listen to me have a conversation with Amr Avadala. Now, Amr is the founding CTO of Vectara. And prior to that, he served as the VP of Developer Relations For Google Cloud. And Amr is most famous for co-founding Cloudera, where he developed and he led the development of enterprise tools to ingest and extract value from big data. Now, before Cloudera, Amr served as the VP of product intelligence engineering at Yahoo after Yahoo acquired his first startup, Aptiva, which was a search engine company. So Amr has a deep expertise and experience working with Big Data, Search, and he is reinventing private search with Victara using large language models. Amar holds a PhD in Electrical Engineering from Stanford University and an MA from Cairo University. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Take a listen. Amar, thank you for joining me at Stories in AI. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, and you know, we were just talking before this, and it's such a pleasure to have you here on the show. Uh, why don't you kick us off with your background, and you know, just tell us your your story. I mean, you're the you're the founder of Cloudera. You're now founded a new company. You are the help, head of Google Cloud uh, Developer Relations. So, tell us your story, your entire origin story and background, and that's a good way to kick it up, kick
1: us off. Wow. If I tell you my full story, that would take like two hours. So I'll give you the brief version. (laughs) Uh, I came to the US in 1995. I'm from Egypt originally. I came here to get my PhD at Stanford. And my goal was to get my PhD at Stanford and then go back to Egypt and teach. I really like to teach. And my dad is a professor, actually. So that was my goal. But then I frequently joke and say that uh, Stanford uh, corrupted me away from the teaching mission because Stanford is very good at uh, right away implanting the entrepreneurship uh, bug in you. So they give you lots of courses and classes about how uh, the mechanics of starting a company that makes it a lot more um, uh, obvious for you. Wow, this is not hard. I can go do that. And they give you courses on the non-technical stuff, like how to do a business plan, marketing, sales, and then they invite lots of entrepreneurs from the industry to uh, talk about their companies. So you saw, like, the, we saw the founder of Intel or the founder of uh, HP or the founder of—I uh, mean, Google was just starting at that time when I was there. So right away, I'm like, "Wow, I should do this uh, startup thing." So I did my first startup while I was doing the PhD. I took a leave of absence. And that startup was acquired by Yahoo uh, within one year. So within one year, we were just five people and we got acquired by Yahoo. Uh, We hadn't raised much funding. So that was a great first success. Uh, While at Yahoo, I uh, told them I want to leave and go finish my PhD. And they were nice enough to let me finish the PhD while working at Yahoo. So I got to do both at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I finished my PhD with Mendel Rosenblum. He's one of the founders of VMware. Amazing, amazing gentleman. And one of the best professors I've ever had. And then uh, after that, when I finished my PhD, uh, that was 2007, 2008, that's when I left Yahoo to start Cloudera. And uh, that came out of my need because at Yahoo, I saw the struggle working with big data, the volumes, the, the variety of the data, the different kinds of questions we want to ask that go beyond SQL. And uh, that need has forced me, we have to do something new. Hadoop was just being born at that time. And it was very clear to me, this is the way, this is the way, this is the new way for how we should be structuring data. Joined up with a couple of my co-founders from Facebook, from Google, from Oracle. And we took uh, Cloudera all the way from uh, four people to 4,000 people across the world. And uh, it was uh, publicly listed in the New York Stock Exchange. And then eventually, I think a year ago, it got acquired uh, back private by KKR. And continues yep. to do well in the in the private world <laughs> right now. And then uh, after Cloudera, I joined Google Cloud for uh, two years where I was leading uh, uh, developer relations. And my goal there was to take a break from startups because startups are stressful, as you know very well yourself. You're doing one right now. Uh, so I needed to de-stress uh, de- a bit. But also when you're doing a startup, you're very myopic. You're very focused on what that startup is doing. So I was very focused on big data and I wasn't seeing the entire ecosystem itself. And Google Cloud is one or AWS or Azure. They're definitely one of the best places where you get this massive perspective of what's going on. Yeah. And then it became very clear to me, large language models is going to be the future. And that's when I left uh, Google and joined a couple of my co-founders and we got uh, Victoria going.
0: That is amazing, Now, I think we know, like, and we, we briefly talked about it. There's so many intersections. And I'm always looking for what are the intersection points for myself with you when I'm talking to a guest? And like I I briefly mentioned to you, I ran uh, Converge Infrastructure and prior to that, Big Data for Dell. And, you know, Hadoop was the life at the time. And this was like, I still remember, it was right after the Affordable Care Act came into play and everybody wants to spin out these reports, all the hospital systems and stuff. And they had no... Reporting infrastructure to organize the data to go run those reports, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and also the web-based uh, folks and stuff. So that was my exposure into on the on the health side or regulated industry side. These are big enough you know, problems outside of just the web guys and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, you mentioned VMware. So I ran virtualization at Dell prior to that. So I had spent a lot of time with Mendel and Diane Green at that time. And yeah, both of know, them are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so They're actually, um, both
1: of them were so investors says, than Cloudera, by the way. Both Mendel and Diane were investors in CloudEra.
0: CloudEra, too. These, you know, such, a, such an amazing, uh, amazing background. So, and then you pick the area that is probably the hottest in the world today that ever been in the world of technology, large language models. And where are we in the world today? Give me your vantage point view and saying what the hell is happening with Chad GPT, GPT-4 coming out, everybody fighting for their piece of the search land all of a sudden, what's happening?
1: I think what's uh, happening at an essence, and before I answer actually what's happening, I want to make sure, let you know, I picked this way before it became hot. Like I picked this about more than <laughs> a year, even half ago now. So You uh, picked big so, data before big data was big yeah. data, right? Exactly. So, I mean, I can only expect that from you. <laughs> <this point> too. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think what's happening is a, 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 a true inflection point on in how we simplified the interaction between humans and computers. That's really what's happening right now. Mm. So when comp- computers were born uh, in, the, in, the, in the 1950s, the only way what, to interact with them was through a keyboard. And very few people know how to use a keyboard to interact with computers. And then came the mouse with the Windows 95 and the, the Macintosh. And we learned how to use a mouse and that made it easier and more accessible to more people. And then the iPhone came out where we now could use our finger and as soon as we could use our finger and, and pinch in and pinch out, swipe right and swipe left, a lot more people now became able to interact with uh, with computers and and every single enterprise had to re-architect their apps to fit within that model of interacting with the finger on a touchscreen. And we have the same thing going on right now, where we now figured out finally how we can get uh, computers to understand us when we speak, right? So imagine I want to take a, uh, I'm using my HR system, uh, let's uh, say Workday, for example, and I want to take a vacation. In Workday today, you have to go and click on many buttons and fill in many forms just to take a vacation. What if you can just tell Workday, I want to take a vacation? And it tells you, when are you leaving? You tell, I'm leaving on April 1st. When are you coming back? Coming back on April 7th. Uh, is this unpaid leave or are you going to use your vacation days? I'm going to use my vacation days. Thank you. Done. <laughs> right. So that's that's the future we're moving towards where we will interact very naturally, just like we speak with other humans. And that's why we're so excited about this. Like We see now a reinvention uh, of how we interact that will open up these capabilities to every single human on this planet. Right. They don't have to learn a new modality to interact. They just interact just like they speak to their mom or speak to their dad or their friends.
0: No, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful what you said It's the evolution of the human machine interaction paradigm that has completely changed right now. Right. And and it's, 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 I also noticed like a sub corollary to that was also what we, what I think of is like, look, I mean, earlier people didn't really, there was actually an expectation gap, right. Wherein people didn't know AI is advanced enough to do some of the things that they now see doing, right. Because there was a, there was a level of talent and capability and technical knowledge you needed to have to be able to get to using that powerful in you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning models. That got floored. The, the barrier to entry into AI right now is being able to speak English. Yes. Or if you use Claire and some of the other language models, maybe not even English, right? Yep. So um, just if you can speak or if you can you know communicate in human language, You can program the world's best supercomputer. You can pro. You can you can build uh, intelligent systems from from just no background doing that, right? So it's pretty fascinating.
1: Sorry to interrupt you. And it goes a little bit beyond that as well. It's not just language. It's our hands and our actions. Like like now with the stable diffusion and a new uh, modification added called the control nets and we'll see that happen with images and with videos. If you want a character standing like this, just stand like this. Take a picture of it and say, "I want that ballerina to be standing like this," and it will imitate your actions so you don't have to go in a complex software like blender and then do the positioning and the hand is going to be here the leg is going to be there you just did it. like i want it to be like this and it's going to be like that <laughs> right so so it's much more natural for how we express things and that's why you're absolutely right i expect this democrat, uh, democratization of this capability to unlock creation in a way that just has never happened before because there's so many people who are very creative but they don't know how to use the advanced uh, design tools, the advanced animation tools, the advanced programming tools. Yep. Now your mom will be able to create an app. It will describe the app. I would like the app to do this, this, and this. I would like a button over here. I would like another button over there. When you click on it, you get this done and the app will come out. <laughs> so that's this is going to truly unlock uh, creativity for all of us in a way we have never seen before. And that's why I'm so excited about this. This is so awesome. So so where are we in that journey
0: today? Right. So we, we had November 30th, Chat GPD was launched in, you know, limited uh, mode. You know, then, you know, some explosion happened. You know Before you know, 100 million users on the platform, GPD 4 then everybody wakes up, all the big tech guys I'm like, hey, here's Bard. And by the way, whoever chose that name at Dell, by the way, <laughs> uh, at, at Google, I okay. mean, <laughs> or, or, or Bing. I mean, we start seeing this explosion, right? And, uh-huh. you know, which is amazing, right? Because you can suddenly see you know, everybody that, that, you know, competition creates innovation and disruption yes. in general. But where yeah. are we in that journey today? Are we starting? Are we at the end of it? Are we somewhere in the middle of using or going into this world where intelligence is democratized, the access to intelligence systems is democratized, and the yes. cost of
1: creation just dropped to zero or nothing? Yes. Right. yes. yes. Uh, where are we in the journey? Uh, we're still, I would say, we're still in the early innings, right? We're, we're, we're not in the middle, we're not in the end, we're still in the early innings of this uh, journey. Uh, that said, this journey is moving at a speed that is mind-boggling, right? So, we saw, like, again, we saw the large language models as soon as the as soon as the, trans- the transformers and the Bert yes, exactly. papers came out. All of us saw, like, wow, this is yep. new. This this is going to change the world. And by the way, we, all of us, meaning the developers, the programmers, the people in the AI field, yeah. we knew how amazing ChatGPT was going to be before ChatGPT came into existence. We we knew that. What ChatGPT uh, made it. Uh, uh, it's contribution is it made it more visible to the layman person, because now they exactly. could go without an API, without a developer console, they can go in and start uh, uh, extracting that power out. So it democratized access to the average human, which now lit the world on fire. Right. That, that's truly what lit the world on fire. Yeah. Uh, but still, I, this revolution that we're going through, having uh, AI systems that not only can understand us and do what we want, but allow us to uh, have superpowers. Like I can now be an amazing designer. I can be an amazing artist and create the most beautiful piece of art. I can write a poem very easily. Uh, I can write a, a novel very easily. Like these uh, these superpowers that were getting to all of us, I equated to uh, the, the industrial revolution and what the industri- industrial revolution did, right? So the industrial revolution was about reinventing and accelerating significantly what we could do with our hands, right? To make a nice shirt like the shirt you're wearing right now, that t- took months. We had to get the cotton from the field. We had to turn the cotton threads using our hands. <laughs> we had to turn the threads into a piece of cloth using our hands, which took months to get done, and then the final stage of cutting the cloth to make the shirt that took a couple of days, and that's still the case today. So, so but, but that whole cycle, because now we had machines, whether that be steam engines or eventually electrical yeah. engines and electrical machines, that were able to create that whole cycle. You put the cotton in one end, you get the shirt on the other end in no time. That now accelerated our productivity as a planet significantly. Yes, some people lost their jobs because of this. There is no question that that happened, that they were actually in the street demonstrating against the machines at that time, if you go back and look. And uh, when the cars came out, some people lost their lives, even. The cars would run over people and kill them. But we very quickly started to detect these things and fix them one by one. And nobody would argue today and tell you, oh, the Industrial Revolution was a bad revolution <laughs> or the cars were a bad invention. Nobody would even argue about that today, right? Because the, the efficiency, Efficiency always wins. If you are more efficient in terms of how you can do things, and now everybody democratized access, meaning everybody now can get from point A to point B with a car, when before only the rich that had horses could get from point A to point B, yeah. clearly was a benefit to the entire planet. That exact same thing is happening right now. The fact that we only had a small subset of our people that know how to create an amazing design or create an amazing program by, uh, by learning C or Perl or Python. Oh. But now everybody will be able to do that. How can we argue that that's going to be amazing for all of us, but we're still at the beginning of it. We're still at the beginning of it, but unlike the industrial revolution, the speed with which this is moving is significantly faster, right? So that's the trick. And it's hard for me to predict. When is the end? Is that I, I, I don't mean an end in a bad way. <laughs> when, is the, when is the end as in we reach the ultimate potential of this technology, like the industrial revolution, is it going to be two years from now? Is it going to be 10 years from now? We might be surprised. It could be two years from now because of how fast the innovations are going right now. So so
0: two two different follow-ups on that question. I think, you know, I totally agree. I think, you know, it's it's equating it to the industrial revolution. This is kind of like a intelligence revolution that is actually just exactly going to follow the same patterns and stuff. Big difference, as you said, is going to be speed. The rate of change is going to be like significantly more, right? Yes. What is, uh, how do you know your... Got to the other end of it, right? What is the end state in your mind, right? I know there's like multiple, there's uh, you know utopian visions and dystopian visions and so forth. But what does the ultimate, what does all of this lead to? How do you view the world?
1: Yeah, it's where we truly uh, deliver on that uh, mission. Meaning that you come up with a great idea for a movie, you describe the idea at a very high level. This is the plot. This is this is the rough type of personalities of the characters. And the movie comes out from the other end, literally, with the acting done, with the special effects, with everything. And he published that movie within a day. <laughs> right? No. That is like one of the key early signals of we have reached truly amazing potential in terms of but what we're doing. That,
0: that example, Amir, like, so I did this with my nine year old. Um, this was, I want to say, in uh, December. I told him right after Chad GPT came about. And, you know, it's like, so I. We, we set up a target right after dinner and before we go to bed. We wrote an entire fiction book. He described the characters, used ChatGPT to write chapters on it. I, uh, you know, it was still done manually. We packaged it, used Dolly to create a, not very good looking, but an image for a cover page. We packaged it into a, a, a Kindle publishing, had the whole thing published before we went to bed. And next day morning, it's actually live on Kindle. You can buy it for, you know, it's called yeah. the inter- intergalactic uh, rift, actually, interstellar uh, rift. Uh-huh. Nobody uh-huh. has bought it yet. I think it's two people. That- <laughs> I'll go buy it for you. I'll go buy it for <laughs> you. <do>. It. <laughs> I'll like I'll, I'll, For the show, uh, you know, uh, audience, I'll actually put that in the note. But I wanted to show him the power yes. of this, right? Yeah. And said, like, oh, what are you about? I mean, yeah, it's not perfect. It's not this thing. But it takes you off that writer block, takes you off that. You just democratize access to tools to make your life better, your output better, and things exactly. like that, right? So I, I love how you said it, right? So when that happens, you know, in my, so also side note, like, um, so I, I'm founder, CEO of a company called Autonomize AI. And we didn't, mm-hmm. or we started in healthcare and, you know, trying to democratize access to healthcare data. But the original idea, the word autonomize came from this fact that the, the mutual frustration I'm sure we all do is like, why do I have to click so many forms? Why do I have to do all these little things? If I don't have, if I have intelligent agents, autonomous agents who would go do these things for me and then aggregate the report and result for it I, you know in the, the the companies of the future will not have tens of thousands of employees they'll have hundreds and, or millions of little robots doing mm-hmm. multiple tasks or one giant you know largely capable robot that does many tasks and so forth right so that's still an argument in that fact but i think you know we're but you're right when when but it's not just us in the privileged world but everybody on their phone sitting in rural you know egypt or in yeah. india yeah. should be able to do it. That's when we know that this has really made the exactly. difference.
1: Exactly. They, they have a, a device in their hand where they can describe any ailments they have, any symptoms they have, and it just tell them, this is the medicine you need to take. And I don't, because now they don't even have access to the doctor, and by the time they get to the doctor, the disease could have been significantly more complicated. Uh, it's the ability, again, of your mom just describing an amazing new app that can change the world in, in, a, in a good way. She has no yeah. development skills. She has no design skills. But she describes it, and maybe even just draws it on a sheet of paper. Shows the sheet of paper to the computer, and the app comes out from the other end. It's yeah, having it autonomous a good car good. in the streets that can drive us to anywhere we want while reducing the chances of an accident by ten thousand times. Right? There is yeah. so many amazing things that will happen. That in is the next amazing.
0: So what is you know? So let's. We both are in enterprises. We work you know with businesses and organizations and stuff too. So we understand the value too. We just touched upon the value, the opportunity for the ultimate creator and the human beings in general, right? What does this mean to businesses? Because right now, just like back in the day when you launched Cloudera, everybody wanted to have a Hadoop cluster. Uh, now everybody wants to have a chat GPD kind of experience, right? Mm-hmm. What does it really mean for businesses? What are these things? I mean, so kind of dissect a few things there. One is what's chat GPD or the publicly available API is good for? What is it not good for? And what mm-hmm. should they do? Right. I mean, well, how do you take advantage? If you're a business leader, what do you what are you telling them? What are you telling your customers?
1: Yes, Uh, we're telling two things. Uh, There is two aspects to what's going on. Right. The first aspect is the human computer interface. How can we make it easier for all of our workers to work with complex applications without having to remember every single button, every single menu and how to get something done? You just ask for what they want to get done and it gets done right. So that's the number one uh, shift that all of them will have to go through. We need to re-architect all of our apps, whether that apps for our uh, users of that enterprise or for our internal uh, employees in that enterprise, they need to be ar- architected along this dimension because it will make it a lot more efficient, quicker, faster, et cetera, easier to use, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the first aspect. The other I mean, aspect is the, ge- the generation ability, right? So the ability to create a slide deck very, very quickly. right? So. I have my data in there and I say, I would like a, a new slide deck that comes out uh, discussing this new topic that we need to brainstorm about. And the slide deck comes out almost 80% complete, and they only have to do the remaining 20% of fine tuning it to be along the lines of what you expected. Uh, that can apply to everything, to email, that can apply to, uh, uh, of course, the documents, et cetera, et cetera. And that will significantly increase our productivity. These are the first manifestations of how we're going to see this technology being applied. But the next level is the reasoning ability of this technology. Like this technology can now reason in a way that can help us in our decision making. Uh, uh, one very clear example of that is how it can write code for us, right? So I can, uh, now I can uh, start by describing the problem I'm trying to solve for the app I'm trying to build. And I'm going to get an initial implementation that is almost fully done. And I'm simply checking it for accuracy and then deploying it. And that will come, same thing for designing a new type of protein or designing a new type of drug. It will help significantly in speeding up the iterations for how we narrow down on the things that have the best impact. In other words, the speed to achieving efficiency will be uh, 10 times, if not 100 times more, uh, because of this technology. The companies that will ad- adopt that, they will be 10 times to 100 times faster than the competition, and they will be the ones that will succeed, and their competition will die. They will not just fail, they will die. And the same, the same exact thing happened in the Industrial Revolution. During the industrial revolution, there were those that had the foresight and so how the efficiency of this will allow us to be a hundred times faster than anybody else. And then you get the Henry Fords of the world that created Ford. But then you had people who are still making horses and said, "We're going to keep selling the horses." And then they all died, <laughs> right? So not the horses, the pe- I mean the people that were selling the businesses that were selling the horses. I mean, so so that's my that's my uh, my my uh, reflection on how that's going to change enterprises and governments and like. All of us, really.
0: All, you know, I think I don't think any industry is going to be spared, right, by the the impact okay. of this, and you know, it's going to be the uh, like back when 2016, 2017, uh, one of my early companies, we were doing, you know, early generation of enterprise AI. So it's just like building machine learning models, packaging it, dropping it into it, managing the life cycle, the kind of stuff. And uh, we had a, um, uh, I think I remember one of the significant champions was an early customer of ours he's a you know it was a healthcare company and mm-hmm. he used to say that look i mean he used to create the sense of urgency with his leadership team saying well ai is an opportunity for us to be exponentially ahead of our competition or be really left behind so we're like we'll be in the dust and you know whoever captures this kind of thing and it's it's no more true, I mean, it's
1: way more true today than it was even five, six years. It's becoming clear to them today. Like uh, it was clear to all of us uh, back then, yeah. but uh, it now is truly becoming clear. Like for the layman person and the layman business person who doesn't have a lot of technical expertise, yeah. now yeah. it's evident. Like they can see how they can type a few sentences in ChatGPT to describe a, a, a email they want to send out to the company thanking everybody. And the perfect email just comes out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So, 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 you know, we're both entrepreneurs. So I want to ask you a question on that before I go into risk and hallucinations, yes. some of the challenges with this thing, right? Mm-hmm. What does this mean for entrepreneurship? If you're a technologist, you're a data scientist, and you always wanted to build a company, you were thinking your mode was actually being able to generate these amazing models and write code to actually build this thing. All mm-hmm. that just went away. Yeah. What does it mean for entrepreneurs in the space doing AI-related stuff today?
1: Yes, it's... What is entrepreneurship? Like uh, uh, People sometimes confuse interpre- entrepreneurship and innovation that they are about coming up with new ideas. They're not. Entrepreneurship and innovation is not about coming up with new ideas. Absolutely. Entrepreneurship and innovation is about solving an existing problem in a smart way. Right? And I love this amazing quote from Henry Ford that illustrates that. I always use, use this as an example. Henry Ford actually did not invent the car. He was not the inventor of the car. But he figured out how to make the cost of uh, the 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 pipeline sure. chain yeah. yeah the supply chain of creating a car at, at much more accessible to everybody he would say this if i had asked people what they wanted if i asked yeah. you what you want you will tell me i want a faster horse yeah. because you can't think about the technology and how to the problem. Yeah. yeah so what you want to ask is what's the problem you're facing and then you will tell you you will tell me the problem i'm facing i want to get from point a to point b very efficiently and quickly and and, and and cost effectively. and then you now as an entrepreneur go out look at the available technologies and the available innovations and apply them to that problem in a very effective way. and that that never goes away. We always need that. We always need people that can take the, the raw technologies, meaning large language models in this in this case and apply these language pro, uh, large language models in an effective way to the problems that we are facing. And that is, uh, in my opinion, that is going to be needed for a long time.
0: (laughs) Because creativity,
1: true creativity still comes from humans. I mean, machines can uh, mix and match our creativity. But it, machines still struggle with creating uh, new levels of creativity that are ten yeah. or hundred times better than the status quo. No, I mean
0: it's trained on the the collective intelligence of the documented internet, right? Yeah, so yeah. and so it's that's the level of uh, things there, which which brings me to the other side of the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. The risks and challenges. You know, I'm sure everybody, you know, you probably read the Kevin Roose's article in New York Times where the Sophie chatbot from Bing was asking him to leave his wife and embrace her. (laughs) It was like cute little examples. But this notion of like, you have this amazing pieces of technology, large language models that are trained on everything from the Donald Trump tweets to, you know, published literature to the entire gamut of things, right? And that can lead to unintended consequences and things. Like there's a notion of hallucinations, right? Yes. There are so many risks around that, but talk a little bit about the risks of hallucinations and how. They, what are some of the approaches that we can take to limit that, right? In, in enterprise use cases or even direct to consumer use cases.
1: Yes. So first, you can call it hallucination, but you can also call it creativity, uh, or you can call it lying as well. And by the way, humans do that, right? When we, when we, when somebody asks you. Probably in this conversation we just had right now, we might have said a couple of things that are a bit creative on the creative side, meaning they're not rooted in facts. They're not rooted in the truth. And, and that's a good thing. Sometimes you need creativity. If you're creating a nice book like the interstellar galactic book you created, then you want some creativity. Actually, you want the large language model to hallucinate a bit and help you uh, be creative in, in, that, in that perspective. So sometimes creativity is a good thing, and we want that, and we want to encourage that because that's how we create these amazing new plot lines and amazing yep. new directions. But we need to understand when we're talking with another human or another machine, are you now in the creative mode or are you now in the factual <laughs> mode? And, and that's a training that we have to go through as humans because sometimes as humans, when we're talking to the machine, we think it's in the factual mode when it's in the creative mode, right? And that's what happened with the, with the, with the, the, the New York Times reporter. It also happened with another engineer at Google a couple of years ago where he yes. thought the machine was sentient, and he and thought the machine is asking him to go hire a lawyer to defend it against uh, the prison it's entrapped in. And, and, and that's just the machine being creative in, in mimicking uh, the behavior of a alter ego uh, inside of the machine. It doesn't mean it has an alter ego. It doesn't mean that it's truly uh, trapped. It doesn't mean that it's truly in love with you and wants you to break up with your wife. It, it's not. It's just following your lead and creating a in uh, uh, reflecting back a creative uh, storyline that you driven. Actually, it comes from you, like you as you engage with it. It just follows your lead, it's <laughs> like the you.
0: ultimate form of
1: inception. That is happening
0: yes. right now. You thought of it, and I'm going to
1: give yes. it to you right now. That's a good <laughs> analogy. I love that. You're right. That's an awesome analogy, actually. I'm going to use that if you don't mind in the future. Of so, that said, if you're using it in a business context, if I'm, for example, go back to the workday example I gave you, and I tell it, I want to take a vacation from this day to that day and then uh, ask me all the questions, we fill everything, and then it gets creative and go and resigns on my behalf. No, that cannot be the case. You cannot hallucinate in that context. So what we need to do is make sure that we have both modes, the creative mode and the non-creative the non, uh, or the accurate mode. Now, unfortunately today, uh, every now and then, because they are based on probabilistic models, these large language models can hallucinate even when you want them to be factual and the solution to that is to do the same thing that newspapers do when a newspaper is uh, publishing a new article they have fact checkers right so there is the reporter that writes the article and the reporter being human might uh, be uh, creative and might uh, hallucinate a bit and might lie a bit Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's where the fact checker comes in and says no 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 this is not a true fact we have to fix that So we need to have that kind of model, and that's what we're working on in the research community, is to have these types of adversarial neural networks that monitor the output of the large language models uh, and check them for factuality. And then if it finds the facts are not aligned with what the the inputs were in terms of what you're trying to do or the answer you're trying to get, then it either eliminates these sentences from the output or it tells the large language model, no, go try again. And it gives it some hints and the prompts on how to guide it towards being more factual than being more creative in these contexts. And we will not be able to move from this, uh, like I see a, a, a journey that we're going through. We had search engines in the past. The search engines give us a list of results that we have to read to figure out how to do something. And then from, from the search engines, we now have answer engines, and that's what ChatGPT does, that's also what Victoria yep. does. It just gives you the answer. You don't have to read any of the results. We're going to read all the results for you and just give you the answer so you can get it done. But because we still have sometimes uh, hallucinations in these answers, we cannot go yet to action engine. But once we nail it, once we nail that hallucination problem, meaning the answer we know is 100% correct, then now you can have a button under the answer say, would you like me to do this for you? Would you mm-hmm. like me to file this vacation for you? These are the steps. Would you like me to go ahead and do that? And you say, yes, go ahead and do it. And as we do more and more of that, and we gain more confidence in its ability to do that correctly, then now we truly reach this nirvana point of we just tell the machine what to do, and we trust it to do the right thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sense? Trust. You know, absolutely
0: makes sense. And you know, a like, lot of things to unpack there, for sure. And I'm also keeping an eye on the time. A um, couple of areas that you know I want to touch upon before I let you go today is like, from here in that journey, as we go from here to um, that Nirvana state, if you will, right? What are some of the social costs that we have to deal with in this, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, give you a little bit of context on how I think about it. You know, One is, I believe it's less about like all of a sudden you have human beings that only were used to interacting with other human beings, now interacting everywhere with other forms of non-living intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. So part of that is actually there is a little bit of that you know the the there is an element of social reengineering that needs to happen here. What does that really mean? And that's what the the results of this, is what you're seeing with some schools banning it, others thinking about it as a creative way to make people you know be the human fact checker on what it generates, so you embrace technology, but you're also doing the right thing. But then there is like the the issue of misinformation, you know, which I mean we're already in a rampant misinformation. Thing. Now it's going to be really hard to decipher what's true and what's fact and fiction anymore, right? So how, what are the social costs of this point in time? And is it just back to your earlier analogy? Well, just something there to live with and we'll get over it because eventually you believe in the collective good of the human, humankind, right? So explore that
1: a little bit for me. Yes, any, any new technology when it's introduced, it has some risks that uh, come with it. And it behooves us to not address these risks as we see them one by one. Again, I go back to the car. When cars were invented, we were dying in, in, in insane amounts. Like people were being maimed and, and, and injured and killed. By the way, still is today, even with all the seatbelts and the airbags and everything we're doing. And that's why I am excited about autonomous driving reaching the point where it can help it's us, crazy. at least prevent us from doing these bad accidents. Uh, yet, yet because of the efficiency and the benefit of that technology, the risks of that were tolerated by all of us, right? Same thing with airplanes. Airplanes fall every now and then, and tons of people die, and and, and we're scared of that. We're scared the hell out of that, still, yet we still ride the airplanes because there's nothing more efficient. I don't want to spend four months to get to Paris from California. <laughs> I really want to be there in a few hours. And uh, yes, if there is a 0.001% chance I might die, I'm willing to take that in exchange for that uh, benefit. And we all do that every day, day in and day out. But that does not mean that uh, we, the inventors of this technology, whether that be the car, the airplane, or the large language models, it doesn't mean that we uh, don't have a responsibility to try and improve that as quick as we can. And that responsibility is very evident today uh, for large language models. We have to do that. We have to be careful of that. And I'll give you a few examples in a second. But, the, but, but first, there is the res- responsibility of teaching uh, us the expectations that we should have when talking with these models. Like this problem with the New York Times reporter, and again with that uh, engineer at Google that thought the technology is sentient, is an education problem, is understanding the creativity aspect of this technology and not confusing that creativity aspect with uh, factual aspects, that it truly means this, it truly is in love with you, it truly is uh, a prisoner that wants to be free. So that's education of the public and we'll go through that education in the same way we educated them how to drive the car properly and we, uh, we put them through exams even still today before they can get a car license. Now, what are some of the responsibilities that we have? We have to be careful uh, to prevent this technology from being used for bad as much as we can. So for example, uh, stable diffusion, which I'm a big fan of, very huge fan of stable diffusion. They truly were one of the foundational inflection points last year in terms of showing us the potential of this technology. And they did it in open source, which allowed a, a, a significant exponential mushrooming of additional benefits because many people now, when they saw that open source, there was the collective mind of 100,000 researchers making it better, as opposed to a proprietary company that only has a few hundred people working on it. So I, I, I believe in that benefit. But at the same time, we have to be responsible while doing it. So Stable Diffusion 1, they made a big mistake where they did not put enough uh, curbs in the large language model to prevent it from generating uh, child pornography. Right, So you could ask for a, ch- a child's picture in a, in a porno- pornographic scene and it will produce that for you. Uh, now that has been fixed. So that's one example of things we have to be conscious of before we release this technology to the public so it doesn't get used in a bad way. Another example is the, is uh, the mimicking uh, the cloning behavior. I can uh, very easily clone your voice today and uh, there's companies that are making it so so easy to get access to that. If I get access to your cloned voice, guess what? I can call up your kids and tell them come meet me at this point. And they will think it's you. I'm in trouble. My car is broken. Please come meet me here. And they will come meet you and then they get kidnapped. Right. Or uh, your son that's out in Europe, uh, maybe on a, on a trip, will call you up and it's their voice and tell you, Dad, I'm really in trouble. I lost my money. I got stolen. Please wire some money to this bank account. You and your panic for your son, you're going to do it like that. Right. And, and that's dangerous. So that voice, these voice cloning technologies absolutely should have a very clear gate on it. Where as part of the training, I don't just take a snippet from one of your podcasts and give it to it. No, I have to read a statement in your own voice saying, I acknowledge that this is my voice. I'm giving it with my permission to be cloned for my own personal use and not for these other uses and be very clear about it. So uh, these are a couple of examples here, but we absolutely need us, the community, to be always be thinking about that. And uh, to be honest, we also need the regulations from the governments that prevent us from misusing this technology. In the same way, the government regulates how we use the car and how we don't use the car. Because the car could be used to kill people, right? Like the car is an amazing device that could be used to kill people. But the regulations prevent us from doing that. And that's exactly what we need in the AI space as well. Make sense?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You no, know, it makes a lot of sense. In fact, I mean, um, to your point, I, there is going to be a point in time where this becomes a no-brainer, right? Where you'll have the right regulatory bodies in place, the right rules and regulations in place. Yeah, like we'll have the GDPR moment in generative AI yes. very soon. Yes. Okay. But until that time, it's up to the technologists yes. and the self governance for us. We have to actually yes. just take on that uh, responsibility. And yes. there is going to be risk, there's going to be challenges, just like as you said, introducing any new technology that's as game changing as it is. Uh-huh. You're going to start seeing this being used by adversarial governments that's going to be used by, you know, yeah. um, bad actors and uh, individuals, corporations and all of that stuff. So it yeah. makes total sense. Now, Amir, this has been fascinating discussion, right? I'm just keeping an eye on the time. Yes. Uh, what, do you, um, what do you want the audience to walk away with in this moment in time? We're such an exciting time right now. What's your number one guidance? Any walk of life? I'm asking you a generic question, right? So what should they do right after this?
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry if this sounds a bit selfish, but my message would be if if you truly believe in what we said in the show today of how large language models are going to transform how your business uh, operates, uh, Victara, that's what we do. We can help you with that. Okay. And we do it in a way that you don't need to have like advanced machine learning experts and neural network experts and uh, natural language understanding experts. We have a very simple uh, API from beginning to end that can enable you to start leveraging this technology within your uh, organization. So sorry for that, that selfish ma- message, no, a message from my sponsor. I, I, I am the founder and CEO of Victara, but I would say the genetic high level message would be, we are at an inflection point in our time. That is like nothing, nothing. Any of our ancestors have witnessed. We are so lucky to be living and seeing this. That, that would be my, my ultimate message. Here. We live
0: in privileged times for sure. Yes. Amr, this was Absolutely. fascinating. Thank you so much for spending the time. Where can the viewers and listeners get in touch with you? Where can they find you on the internet?
1: My last name, so Awadallah, if you just go with my last name, that's my handle on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. So that's how you can find me. And then the company, same thing, Victara. That's the the same uh, everywhere, the handle for all of these social media sites.
0: Excellent. Amr, thanks so much. Thanks for taking the time today. It was such a pleasure. Same thing here, Ganesh. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, I encourage you to do three things. Number one. Share with your friends and family. If someone else can learn from this, get inspired and take action, they need to. Number two, subscribe so you do not miss a single episode. You can do it at your favorite podcast location or at youtube.com. Number three, let me know if you have any questions, comments or ideas for me or my guests and check out storiesinai.com to access show notes and more resources. Thank you for listening. See you next time.